the back of your bulletin is an outline that we're working through. As I begin uh, to start teaching out of 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, but I have decided to spend a few weeks, months, going through a biblical view of money. And uh, I think that part of the problem that exists in the body of Christ when it comes to giving is uh, one, the perversion of the world, and the other is the perversion that has erupted in the churches um, on money and how it is utilized or how it is used. And uh, so um, I'm going to review quickly on what is the morality of money, and then we'll look into the love of money. Um, And I'm just going through different texts of Scripture to show you what the Bible says. So let's pray. Father, give us ears to hear and eyes to see. Father, uh, I think about this great nation and the vast riches that you've given every single American. And I don't care how poor they think they are. Uh, We have more than so many in the rest of this world. And yet, Father, we who are called by your name, may we understand that we have but a stewardship of the wealth that you created and the ability to gain wealth you did. And therefore, Father, let us be good stewards of the task at hand. Thank you, Father, for your rich blessings. And Father, may we be faithful with utilizing your blessings for eternal things to your glory and praise. In Christ's name, amen. Last week I looked at the morality of money and I showed you that everything that's in the world is his. We're just saying this is my father's world and it's all his, whether it's silver, gold, rubies, sapphires, diamonds, coal, oil, you name it. He made it. All right. He gave humanity the ability to harvest it. So when you have wealth, whatever it is. Do you understand where it came from? If you acquire wealth, do you understand where you got the ability to do that? All right. And, and I think there are times that we think we did it. And it is still a gift from God. And do I utilize it? Because I, I told you last week. In and of itself, wealth, money, gold, silver, whatever it is, um, has no morality. Okay, there's no moralness in money. Okay, but money shows the morality of the person who has it. You can be dirt broke and still be immoral. And you will use your money For immoral things. You can be filthy rich. And be immoral. And you will use your money. For corruption. Alright. So money is a very good barometer. Of the spiritual condition of a person. Alright. What they do with their money. And how they use their money. Is is very evident. I, I shared with you that. You can 
take a person and go through their checkbook and see what their priorities are. Just go through the register. You can see what they spend most of their money on. Well, I don't use a checkbook. I use a debit. Well, whatever. Your bank statement, go look at it. You can see what you did with it. And it's very evident. Okay? So with that, I want to move into the love of money. Okay? And what I mean by that is, how do you regard money? All right? Um, and, and I'm not talking about love as an emotion. All right? Um, it, it's how attached to money are you? I shared with you the whole world system tries its best to separate you from, its, from your money. That's why we have advertising. I mean, in the last hundred years, advertising has emerged, and it is obviously very, very effective because it is a great large industry. But I, I, when I think about the love of money, I, I kind of go back to the drive to attain it. All right? In 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10. The love of money, okay, now, no, I, I watch this a lot because people think that it's money is the root of all evil. No, it's not what it says. It says the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil, and some by longing for it have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Okay, now listen, it's not money. It's the Love of it. Okay? Listen, let's be realistic. Everyone in here has to be very honest with yourselves right now. We are around money all the time. It may be plastic money, but you're around it all the time. Okay? And think about this for a second. How many times in the course of a day do financial things cross your mind? Just in the course of a day, average day. So it's always around. All right. I mean, if you go down and get gas, you don't get it for free. I mean, I, I was, went by a gas station here, had a tire a little low, and they wanted to charge me to get air. No, I ain't going to pay for air. Okay. But, but I look at it, so it's everywhere you go, it's, it's, something has to do with money. It was funny, when I was down in the uh, Caribbean a couple of weeks ago, um, they don't have any taxes. There's no sales tax. Okay? And you never had change. Anything you bought was even dollars. And, and, and it was just bizarre. I mean, it's like, I didn't have no quarters. There's no dimes. You just, it was, you know, it was $10, it was $4, it was $3, it was $20, it was $39. Whatever it was, it was always straight up. And I kept thinking, well, that's just bizarre. It was kind of cool, though. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> no taxes. And uh, how much does a house cost? No. Um, it's there all the time. Money. Issues of money. All the time. All the time. And let me tell you something. It's powerful. It's powerful. And it's easy to fall in love with money. 
because it's a constant part of life. Okay, you're never very far away from money matters. Things dealing with money. It's easy to focus on money. Same chapter, verse 17. Instruct those who are rich. Okay, do you know what he just said there? It's not a sin to be rich. Okay, instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly supplies us with all things. Did you see how it ends? To enjoy. Have you ever seen them Christians walk around like this? All wrinkled up foreheads. And it's just like they're mad at the world. And I'm like, well, what's the matter with you? And it says, well, it's just everything. I enjoy this place. Okay? It is beautiful. I mean, I even went through the Mojave Desert. And eh, (laughs) it's beautiful in its own way. That, that sounded pretty good, didn't it? <laughs> okay. But, but, you know, you can't say, what is, I wonder if it ever gets out of this shade of brown. Okay. It is beautiful. I wouldn't want to live there. Okay. Everywhere you go, there's a beauty that is distinct that God says, look what I did. But um, it, it's okay to be rich. But he says, don't be conceited about it. Okay. What does he mean by that? Well, what he's trying to tell us is that Don't let your pride of the place you're in overwhelm you. Nor fix your hope on it. Now, that's the, you know, I can look in this room right now and if I look on the world stage, there ain't nobody in this room that ain't as extraordinarily wealthy. I don't care what you're making. If you're making minimum wage right now, I can show you villages in Russia that don't have any idea of what that wage is. I mean, when I can support a pastor in Russia for $250 a month, really? Can you live on $250 a month? I can, but I'm going to be real thin. No. <laughs> okay. But he says now... Don't fix your hope on it because the wealth is there to enjoy, which means you're going to do what? Be a good steward of what you have. Okay. And when you're doing that, don't put your hope in that. Listen, do you understand that when you see a hearse going down the street, it doesn't have a U-Haul behind it? All right. How much money did you come into this life with? How much you going out with? None. So why you get all excited about it? I told my kids already, there is no inheritance. I've got this thing balanced out. I'm going out of the zero sum gain. But you won't have to stress over nothing. You know the love of money when you pursue the money and not God. And not God. All right. Another verse that is very dear to me. One of my, it could be my favorite psalm. is Psalm 42. I want to ask you a question. We all sit here today and we have money. We have wealth, different You know, some of us may have property and houses. Some of us may have nice paying jobs. Some of us may be just getting by. Okay. 
Let me ask you a question. Do you have a love of money? Now, you're all listening to me right now saying, nope, (laughs) nope, not me, man. I'm in church on Sunday and he's already stepped on my toes. I'm just going to, nope, not me. All right, then I got a question for you. Psalm 42, verse 1. As the deer pants for the water brooks, so my soul pants for you, O God. Does that fit you? Or is it a side order over time so I can get that little longer vacation? Which one is it? My soul thirsts for God, the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? See, as the deer pants for water, should be the Christian's heart for God. And it should be second seat to nothing. How much time do you spend thinking about finances versus how much time do you spend thinking about God? How much time do you spend pursuing finances compared to how much time do you pursue God? I can tell you what drives people in the world. It is easy. You do not have to be a deep theologian or a philosopher to see what drives humanity. It's motivated by money. Everything's by money. Motivated by being the best you can be so you can make more money. Make more money. Look at sports. Whatever happened to love of the game? No, man, it's the love of money. Paul already said in 2 Corinthians 5, the love of God compels us. Do I have a love of the Lord that makes me pursue him with more energy than I pursue anything else? Listen, I already showed you verse 17, 617 says there's nothing wrong with enjoying what is around. Okay, he gave it to us to enjoy it. It's very simple. But is that become my passion? Is that what drives me? I want to go enjoy more. Is that my love? We have all been given abilities, different abilities. And some of our abilities, we max it out. We strive hard at things. And this effort that we put out, ask yourself a question. How effective is it? How efficient is it? Now then, do you do the same for God? There's a a tragedy that I see happening in this country in my years of existence that the excellence and energy and work uh, seems to have vanished (laughs) It just doesn't seem to be there. Uh, and, and there's a, numerous reasons. I mean, I mean one is, as a lot of people say, well, you know, I've got a four-year degree or whatever year degree I've got, and I need to make this many millions. And it used to be when I was in the workforce, started early in my life, uh, my first job paid me $12 a week. Okay, and I, I cleaned a, a grill in the back of a f- 
pharmacy. Do you, got, do you guys anybody remember those when they used to have a little uh, diner thing in the corner of the pharmacy? I would go in for two hours a night and clean the grill off and mop the floor in the kitchen and made two bucks. So, but I could walk to work. It wasn't that big a deal. As you work through these things, are you pursuing so that you can get a raise, an increase? How much energy do you put into it? Into whatever it is you're doing? Okay, because Colossians and Ephesians say, when you work, don't do it as eye service. And it's an interesting phrase in the original language because what he's saying is, don't be busting your butt every time the boss shows up. You should be busting your butt even when the boss ain't there. Because God gave you the job and you should do everything as unto Christ. Do you work that way? Do you work that hard? Some pursue money with energy. And that's what their hope is in. That's what their hope is in. If you go read through, uh, there's a lot of articles on these people who have won the lottery and have these massive sums of money. And with usually the averages that between uh, the first five years, they're broke again. Because truth of the matter is, we don't really appreciate things that are given to us. Okay. So somebody brings you up a wheelbarrow of $1,000 bills and says, here, you can have them. I bet you spend them pretty quick. I know, and everybody says, well, I'll try. <laughs> Even Christians today find their security in money. In money. And... To just not beat around the bush and be really straightforward to it, um, it's idolatry. You are putting something before God. You pursue money over your excellence before God. Do you put energy and efficiency into your time before God? Or do you do it for money? If you do it for money rather than God, guess what? It's idolatry. See, we always think idolatry is a little bitty statue someplace. Okay? You can, I guess, if you want a statue. I, I always look at Isaiah. He made fun of it. Or was it Jeremiah? A little wooden thing that you carve and worship and you throw the rest of them in to cook your food. <laughs> and you're like, well, there you go. Do not give eye service to your job. You're working as unto the Lord. Why? God has given you the wealth. God has given you his resources and you are doing it as unto him. If you work for the buck, understand that it is just idolatry. Are you doing it for the love of money or are you doing it for the love of Lord? Okay, listen, you can love it, love money and have a lot of it. You can love money and not have any. But you still love it. It becomes your pursuit. When you get your security from your money rather than God, understand it's idolatry. 
And if you want to see something that really makes God mad fast, that's it. That's it. And yet we subtly lull ourselves into it. You know, have you ever heard of anybody working overtime for the Lord? I know he doesn't pay time and a half, right? (laughs) I've never seen anything like it. I remember when they first made me the pastor of the church. And uh, uh, I said, well, you know, what I do for a living is I pray and and I read the Bible. So Mondays, I'll just take Mondays off. So if I'm going to take Mondays off, um, I guess if this is what my job is, I won't read my Bible and I won't pray on Monday. (laughs) I got to about 11 o'clock that morning. (laughs) I was like, I better get back to work. (laughs) Okay, I'm thinking this, this is a bad thing. Okay, when... When we step into this, I see people who get satisfaction from money. I see that they get their joy from money. And I'm not talking about lost people. I'm talking about Christians. They feel like they're doing good if they got money. That's what the Sadducees taught. That you were annihilated at your death. You ceased to exist. And if God liked you, you prospered well during your life. And I still see that today. It's promoted in churches. If you are business savvy and you are successful, then God's blessing is on you. What you, you know, it's, do you understand you're going to leave this place with the same thing you came in with? So why do we put so much energy into it? Why do we let it absorb us so much? At death, all that welcomes us in the end is how we sowed what God entrusted to us. That's all that waits for you. I mean, I remember hearing a story about a guy, very, very wealthy man. And he was preparing to die and he asked God if he could bring his wealth to heaven with him. And God said, sure. So he took everything he had and he converted it into gold and he died. He had this huge bag of gold and he goes walking up to the pearly gates, dragging this huge bag of gold. Say Peter's standing there and Peter says, what's in the bag? He says, all my worldly possessions. And he says, well, what's in it? He says, gold. And he says, that's pavement here. The streets are paved with gold in heaven and you're going to worry about taking some with you. Let me carry a bucket of pavement with me. I don't understand some of this. If you love money, you will find all kinds of problems. Go back to 1 Timothy. Chapter 6, verse 9. But those who want to get rich fall into temptations and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. That's some pretty serious verbiage right there, people. Those who want to get rich. The love of money. Those who want to get rich will fall into temptation. And to a snare. You know what a snare is, right? It's a trap. It was a trap. And many foolish and harmful desires, and they will plunge you into ruin and into destruction. 
That's serious. Why? What's driving your bus? Wealth? You cannot, Jesus said, you cannot serve God and money. He said, and it's so simple. Seek first his kingdom, his righteousness. And guess what? All things are added unto you. I like that. You know what that is? That's be all things. All things are added unto you. You pour yourself into the things that honor God and work for the glory of Christ. And money will come from God as he purposes it. He will give you exactly what you need. And he will give you things that you can enjoy. That's always a blast. You know what? If, if we let him decide how much money we have. Do you understand that it's safer if it's up to him? Set your heart on glorifying God. If he makes you rich, it's his business. Okay. And you know what? I have some friends who are rich. I call rich, extraordinarily wealthy. And they will tell you that it's harder being rich than it is being poor. Now, I'd like to try, but that's what they tell me. Can I give that a shot? Listen, if you don't think that it isn't Aiken, for the sake of a gold bar, brought a military defeat upon Israel and the slaughter of his family. For money, Balaam sinned and tried to curse God's own people. For money, Delilah betrayed Samson. For money, Ananias and Sapphira was struck down in church. For money, Judas sold Christ. You pursue money, that is the company you're in. When you pursue money, you will always, always, always forget God. Because your hope becomes your money. Your satisfaction becomes your money. Your joy becomes your money. Your entertainment is your money. I, I want to close with a verse because I, I hear a lot of people tell me, well, Terry, you know, Solomon was rich. If you go to the book of Proverbs, chapter 30, the book of Proverbs was written primarily by who? Solomon. But if you read chapter 30, it's not. It's written by a guy named Agur. And he wrote chapter 30 while he watched Solomon. Okay? Verse 2 says, Surely I am more stupid than any man, and I do not have the understanding of a man. Okay? What's he comparing himself to? The wisest man in the world. Who was it? Solomon. And he's watching the wisest man in the world. Okay? He says he's an oracle. Okay? But I am evidently stupid. And it's amazing because, let's be really specific here, Solomon was really, really, really rich. 
But Solomon was rich, richer than you and I can even comprehend. There's nobody on this planet has ever been as rich as Solomon. Okay, no, not Bill Gates, not Buffett. None of them guys can compare to the riches that Solomon had. Okay. But he wanted more. And it trapped him. The snare. He kept marrying foreign wives. Okay. 900 foreign wives. Now, I've heard some people try to tell me, well, he just had a lust problem. Uh Uh-uh. 900 wives ain't no lust problem. (laughs) That's insane. No. Okay. One wife is plenty. Okay. I want you to know that 900 wives had absolutely nothing to do with his physical desires. Okay. The reason that he married 900 foreign wives is because when he married one, they had to bring part of their national treasury. They were marrying king. They were marrying into royalty. He was marrying royalty. They would send money and it would go into the treasury of Israel. Okay. Do you see that he married 900 women and it was not for the women. It was for the money. He was building a political empire with massive wealth. Now, remember. Smartest man in the world. Hundreds of wives based on greed. Greed. And in his greed, he brought all of these wives and they brought all of their treasures and he got a bonus. He got a bonus. They also brought their gods. Okay, now, if you're a husband, you know that if you make your wife mad, it gets very painful. What happens if you got 900 wives? Don't make them mad. So if they want to come in with their little fake gods, yes, dear, bring the cash. Solomon's greed led to Israel going into idolatry. He split the kingdom based on his greed. This is the wisest man in the world. And our guru is watching. And so he prayed two things. I ask you verse seven and do not refuse me before I die. Now think about this for a second. He's an oracle. He speaks for the word of God. Two things I ask of you do not refuse me before I die. Keep deception and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Give me with the food that is my portion that I do not be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord or that I do not in want steal and profane the name of God. And this is the guy who's watching Solomon. Who has all of this wealth, all of these women, and he says, I don't want that. I don't want that. 
That was his prayer. These two things. Seeing what riches was doing to the smartest man in the world, he knew he wanted no part of riches. Give me only what you want me to have. God, you determine. You give me what you want me to have. I don't want to steal and shame your name. The love of money will set God aside. Every time I've watched it, it'll set God aside. You give your life to Christ. And you serve God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And you let God give what he wants. I've seen him stretch a dollar. I've seen him shrink a dollar. I've seen people who had lots of money, who were in a constant state of desire. I've seen people who had absolutely nothing. And were the happiest people on the planet. I preached in a little bitty Russian church years ago. And uh, out of the book of Revelations, the second coming of Christ. And when I got done, there was this uh, elderly woman. She's got tears coming out of her eye, just bawling. And I was, oh man, did, I, did the interpreter miss it or what? <laughs> I wasn't sure what was going on. And she came up, put her hand on my shoulder, and she said, oh, I just want to thank you so much. She's, and it, now this is through an interpreter. And he, he said, that, I just want to thank you so much. I have always wished and longed to hear that passage taught. And God brought an American to teach it to me. And, you know, I, and I would like to say I had this profound plan, but I didn't. Uh, I would celebrate. They celebrate the Annunciation Day, which is uh, when Mary was told she was with child. And so I taught Revelation. This is what the child is about. I mean, I know you like the little baby in a manger. But check out the horse he comes back on. But anyway, um, so that's kind of what I, I taught on. And she came up to me. She says, I have nothing to give you. And uh, th- this town of about 5,000 people uh, was 100% unemployment. Okay, and everybody was living off of government subsidies. Okay, and she says, I have nothing to give you. And then she says, wait. And she walks back into this little room. She comes back out and she hands a bag of eggs to me. Because she had chicken coop. And she says, this is all I have. And she gave me a bag of eggs. But I always thought about the widow might. She gave what she had. And I said, lady, I don't know if I'm going to get this through customs. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> but, uh, but we took them back and made these, I call them Russian raviolis. But anyway, okay. But that's all she had. That's all she had. Well, that's uh, Alexander's and Zeminka. That's his church. How would you like to have a whole congregation that's 100% unemployed? Fascinating. Fascinating. And yet, you've never been to a place. I was there on a Wednesday night preaching one night. And I preached, you know how I preach, about an hour. And I had to answer questions for two after I got done. It's incredible. That's the guy. Remember the guy who came to salvation, became the deacon? Because he seen me riding around a statue of Lenin on a Belarus motorcycle. <laughs> anyway. One of my favorite places in the world. And yet, they run 100% unemployment. And yet, God takes care of them. I guess the question is, what do you do with the money that you don't need? Because that's your love of money. We have expenses. 
There's things that we just can't get away from. All right? But we have extra income. I don't care who you are. Now, you may run yourself into eyeballs full of debt, but I, that is still no excuse. What do you do with your extra income? That is the question because um, the test is, do I love God, serve God, honor God, glorify God with my extra income? Okay, I remember uh, I was talking to Dr. MacArthur one time and the elders, he had been about six years without a raise. And um, the elders kept wanting to give him a raise. And he kept saying, you don't understand. I have everything I need. I don't need any more money. And they kept saying, well, you, we, need to, we want to give you more money. And they said, well, I don't need any more money. So finally, they pinned him down and says, well, we don't care whether you need any more money. You're going to get more money. And he says, but I don't need it. He says, we want to see what you do with it. Serious test there. All of a sudden, I have a whole bunch of extra money. You know what he did with it? He supported the seminary in Kiev for one year. Paid all the, all the teacher's salaries, the building's utilities, and all the books and units that needed to be done to run that seminary, he gave it and he paid for it cash. Because he said he didn't need it. Okay, so what do you do with your extra money? Let him give what he chooses. Okay? And you use it to express his love, your love for him. Try that. Just like the prayer of Agar. Two things I ask of you. Do not refuse me before I die. Keep deception and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is my portion and that I do not be full and deny you and say who is the Lord or that I not be in want and steal and profane the name of my God. That's my challenge before all of you. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you that you have given us wealth. Thank you that you have given us all of the resources of this wondrous creation. And that, Father, your ways are not our ways. Father, in this room, there are some with much and there are some with little. And yet you continue to do exceedingly abundantly beyond what any of us could think or imagine. Thank you, Father. Thank you for the amazing riches that you have bestowed upon this nation and to each and every one of us that is in this room. And Father, may we never take it for granted. Father, may we always have a grateful heart for what you have done. And Father, may we utilize our resources to show this lost and dying world our love for you who created it. To your glory and praise in Christ's name. Amen.